You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend in the day? 
as much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm, I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Happy New Year to the Houndsman XP faithful. I am fresh out of bear camp. The month of December was very good for training young hounds and getting a lot of exposure. The bears were plentiful. They were fat. There was a lot of food on the mountain. Good sign for bear hunters in the Appalachian Mountain Range, that's for sure. Just like when all houndsmen get together, bear camp produced several good topics of discussion about hounds, about training hounds, about breeding, and you know, all things that houndsmen always talk about. And one of the topics that came up in bear camp this month was slick training. And Heath Hyatt joins us for this deep dive discussion into tree problems. Is it bred into them? Is it trained into them? How we can avoid it? And it's just a common problem that everyone is always talking about with our hounds and the old timers say there's too much tree bred into our modern day hounds and this discussion is going to help kind of get through the weeds on this whole thing and maybe provoke some thought on you know can we be contributing to this do we want to get away from it it's all here folks before we get there i got to tell you that if you have not joined us on Patreon yet, you need to, and I'm going to tell you why right now. We just wrapped up our annual uh, Patreon drawing, and we gave away over almost $2,000 worth of merchandise from our sponsors during that drawing. So if you think about it, and you go in and you join us on Patreon at the highest level at $12 a month, then... The prize package for that annual drawing was nearly $1,000. I'm not a great mathematician, but the person that won that almost made all their money back in one drawing. So we do monthly drawings, we do semi-annual drawings, and we do an annual drawing. And when you join us at the $4 level, you're eligible for all those drawings, uh, for the monthly drawings which normally run up to about $100 a month. So for basically a dollar a week every month, you stand to uh, get a return on your money for the whole year. At our mid-level, you qualify for all those monthly drawings plus the semi-annual drawings, and there's two of those a year. And then at our highest level, you qualify for all of those monthly drawings, both semi-annual drawings, and the big annual drawing every year. We try to pay this back to you, our patrons, who are supporting us on Patreon, not to mention the fact that Seth is really ramping it up this year with more bonus material for our Patreon community. He and I just got done recording two tailgate talks, um, which are exclusive for our Patreon supporters. I know Lauren is is also in one of those tailgate talks talking about her wild, chaotic times coon hunting in, in Wisconsin. She's really been pouring it to those hounds. Seth has a lot of you. Uh, if you want to be featured in a tailgate talk, if you want to uh, contribute to the content there, 
may and write us articles we'll send them we'll, we'll post them on there i'm writing articles we're really ramping up our efforts there on patreon so join us on patreon and you can go to houndsmanxp.com support page and it'll take you right into patreon and you can start supporting us for as little as one dollar per week as we wrap up 2021 and we move forward into 2022 i want to take the opportunity to say thank you to all of our supporters and listeners out there houndsman xp is rocking and we're up there in the top with the highest rated hunting podcasts in the world and it's all because of you because you click that subscribe button you give have given us a great review over on itunes and you're just engaging, and we want to thank every one of you for that. Guys, I'm going to get over this pre-roll here. The Old South Dog Box is rocking. We're going to talk a little bear hunting. We're going to talk some tree problems. We're going to talk about training your hounds. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound it is being covered in the pages of southern hound honey magazine you also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle living it every day to the fullest from the rocky mountains to the southern swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond go to southernhoundhunting.com Get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Honey Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Let's just start out with uh, you know, some small talk about bear hunting. Yeah, um, went today. Like that, so. Had a split race, and Dot trailed one up, went over in the north, and Forrest was able to get two dogs in behind she was caught down right off the steep of the mountain and forced or fuzzy got out with two of Forrest's dogs and put them in behind her and they went off the boon went off and went to her and Waylon split i don't know what happened there but they were caught so me and maddie went around the mountain and come up through some property that i i know the people and they give me permission to drive up in the up into the farmland and we got up about 300 yards from them and it was 280, and then they started moving back up the mountain. And long story short, Dot and Boone took the bear up, up underneath the cliffs, and started heading back east. Got I don't know three or four hollers over from us, which was you know about a thousand yards. And Boone just pulled up treed, and Dot kept going on. And I mean, she was barking every breath, and we're like, "What is going on?" Well, then we hear another yeah. dog treed, and. So Waylon had got with Boone or vice versa. We don't know what happened, but they had the cub. And Dot took the south and went on out the north of the mountain and crossed over the south in that area where you would know that's where that's at. And yeah. um, she made a big loop through there and a couple of zigzags. And finally we decided we don't want to pack dogs because we don't want dogs tore up because we know it was a sow bear. And Forrest and so Fuzz... She took the bear up over the north slope and then to over down the south side. Back in there where you tre- where you treed, yeah, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is after having it caught probably for a good hour and a half over on the north. And I wonder if that's what Jazz did the other day. If she took a, you think she took a cub on on down, and I had a big sow caught. 
I mean, there up on my end. Went to the same place. I mean, it literally. Um, she went in there and West went down that path that you went down and tried to cut her, and mm-hmm. she turned to come. I think he turned her actually, and she come back up the mountain and forced was able to run her down and then where she crossed out his dogs exploded again so we know that you know that was right um <clears throat> so yeah, yeah I, I, that's very possible i never thought about that but that's very possible from where you was at went over in the same place over in the north in mm-hmm. the same place yeah. so that's that's probably the same thing yeah honestly yeah yeah i'm i'm just curious you know because that just that bear I caught down in there was a nice bear. It obviously wasn't a cub. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if she didn't have a yearling with her. And Jazz took the yearling on out and and Diablo and Cajun stayed on the south. Well, I don't know. I mean, after and today. I, could, I couldn't tell when it was in a tree. I mean, it, it kind of looked like a sow. But at the same time, you know, it, it was just hard to judge. When, when I got in there, she was sitting on her butt. Uh, against the tree, and then and then when I walked in there, she got up, and the tree was so small. I mean, she was balled up, so you couldn't tell any features about her and stuff, and so you just you couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. While we're on sales, let's talk about conservation of our sport for a little bit because this is a topic that comes up in our group a lot. You know, we try very we try very hard. You've been with us, you see. We try very hard not to kill the sales. There's yes. been six sales killed in this one area that we hunt. And the way I tried to explain it to the guys that I hunt with is, you know, you got to look at the bigger, the overall picture. Six sows, and all of them were mature sows because they were they were healthy, they were big. I mean, mm-hmm. none of them was under 170 pounds. So you killed six sows. Next year, if they produce like they should, they should have cut twin. They should have two cubs. That's 12 next year that you've taken. And then next mm-hmm. year after that, that's 24. And the next year after that, that's 36. And then you start yeah, breaking down the. Higher than that, I think. Well, then you start breaking down the thirty-six because half of them, if they're sows, after that third year, they're going to have cubs. Right. So you add another right. fifteen yeah, on go. top of the twelve. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's devastating when you start killing that many in an area, and I mean. Well, one of the things we talked about, though, and I'll play the devil's advocate from the, the part that, the scientific side of it. You know, Virginia is. Um, experience that mange outbreak you know it's been heavily advertised and things like that yep and that's a population density related disease because they've got to pass that among each other so i get what you're saying and i like i like what you're saying and everybody wants a lot of bears to run but but what if if you don't kill the sows what's the state going to step in and do (laughs) to start eliminating those if you don't yeah i mean that's the Open question. I don't live there. I've just been over there hunting with you guys. I'm, that's that's just a legitimate question. Well, the problem is the the complaints are not coming from the land that we hunt. It's coming from the private land where all the bears okay. seeking refuge now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had said this before. I, I don't I don't know that I have the answer for this because you can't on a kill permit in Virginia. You can't use dogs. So when the farmers get corn corn damage permits and they get to go in there and kill them, you know, we can't use them. Um, the, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that because it's definitely an issue. They want to decrease the population 25%. But again, we're not having the issues on the national forest where we hunt. It's all down in the private lands and the, 
the places that the bear don't need to be and we should as a as a group uh, as an organization whatever we need to come up with a solution before they do just open it up for everybody because you know we love to to run a tree bear you know it's, it's not so much about taking the game but we know we have to take them um you know sometimes yeah. and sometimes you don't have a choice i mean and sometimes you yeah, just like, don't know and I, I like what you're saying i mean i'm not i'm no. just trying to play a little devil's advocate there but you know, so so the bears that are causing the problems are areas that that you normally don't hunt anyway. Or you can't right. hunt because it's a small track of land, yeah. Right. You know, yeah. You know, Betty Sue's out here feeding her birds, and, you know, the bear come down and get in the bird feeders, and she's an animal lover, and, you know, she's got her 5, 10, 15 acre, 20 acres of land, and... I mean, you can't you can't hunt there, but then right. you know she starts causing some of the problem by continuing to feed the animal, and you know how the animals are—they're coming back for a good meal. And we get a lot of that stuff with coons here in Indiana. You know, personally, I don't care what happens to a coon in a dumpster in Aurora, Indiana. You know, right. I'm not hunting there anyway. So, so I mean, I do care, but but I recognize the problem that those people have. So it's not as much of a concern and you know in my line of work then it always became my problem when hmm. when somebody has a coon eating a cat food or in their bird feeders or in their trash and and i know officers down in virginia and different places where there's bears you know they they laugh when they talk when we start talking about coon problems that we had here in indiana they said Man, you ought to have, you ought to have a you ought to have a bear in a cornfield and see how that you know see what kind of damage you get. So, no matter how you slice it, the number one complaint that wildlife managers managers get is wildlife human conflict. It's it's a thing. I mean, I've seen it set policy, make changes to hunting regulations. Um, and it's all to solve a problem that some bureaucrat has to satisfy his constituents. The community. That's right. His constituents. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's what it boils down to. It really does. I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of times, um, the the people that are footing the bill, the hunters out there, don't get enough of a say. But I'll also tell you that hunters need to make sure that they're a part of that conversation in from now on because that is how how wildlife policies and laws and things are getting getting passed and made hunters aren't showing up you know right. and, and and houndsmen are, are the worst at showing up yes we are we got we have to do better if we want to we want to preserve the sport that we love we're going we, to have to especially you know our right to retrieve law gets every couple of years it gets hammered and brought to a vote and you know we narrowly scraped by we narrowly scraped by which is good but you know mm -hmm. it's going to come up again here in the next couple of years and we're going to be having this conversation all over again so hey i'm with you yeah i mean realistically you know and i'm not trying to be the outsider looking in at virginia the last thing you need is me telling telling people what they need to do in virginia i, I, I go through that every day on social media about people trying to tell everybody what to do and i hate it but but as short as the bear season is in virginia that leaves a lot of time for houndsmen 
to get involved in organizations that can uh, protect your rights and you don't have you got time if you make we always make time for the things that are important to us prioritize yep yeah i mean we can make time for watching some dim tv show and making we will rearrange our whole schedule for the week to make sure we're home on the certain night to watch a show or a ball game or whatever and as much as we love hunting and our hounds it's like uh man i really don't have time to could to go do that and i think we need to change that's why we created this podcast is try to change that culture and that mindset yeah the more people you can get involved and and you know do it professionally and mm-hmm. be productive you know because yeah. i've been to some of those meetings years ago where it just was a shouting match and that 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 doesn't help anybody sure don't look good on us but uh, right. hopefully hopefully things have changed a little bit since then so well i think i think you guys you know knowing the areas that you guys are hunting um, I think there's a nothing wrong with the 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 thought process you're having right now. You know about conserving those sows and trying to trying to keep bears in those areas. But you got to remember that every habitat has a certain amount of carrying capacity, and once it gets full there, they're going to spill over and they're going to be in the subdivision and they're going to be in the crop fields. When there aren't enough acorns on the mountains or grapes or whatever, then uh, they're going to go find them. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a balancing act. It's one of the challenges that wildlife managers have. But, man, we can do so much more to help swing that in our favor to, to, to get our organizations involved in bear studies and find grants to do it. And, I mean, there's a ton of stuff we could be doing. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, and I, like I said, yeah. I'm, I'm probably guilty because I probably need to participate more than what I do. So, well, and, I was effective in giving you a guilt trip because I think <laughs> you are a good guy. <laughs> you are a good guy. You are a good guy to be involved in that, Heath. I mean, you're considerate of people. You understand the big picture. You've been in a public figure uh, through your law enforcement for a number of years. You've dealt with the public for years. You got to be a guy that can you know, look at both sides of things and sort through the stuff and leave the emotion. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that you'd have to offer there. So I think, I think I'll call the president of the West or uh, Virginia bear hunters association. Yeah. (laughs) Tell him you're ready to step up. Yeah. I may have to do that one day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey, we, we kind of had a train wreck last night. We were going to, we tried to do this last night and, uh, um, it was, a, it was just a train wreck. I think we both agreed. We thought about it last night after we got done, and we thought about it today and thought, man, we could have done a better job with that. So we're doing a do-over, and I don't like do-overs, but I think um, this one is worth it. And, Heath, you're a, you're a professional dog trainer. Uh, you're a master trainer for police canines in the state of Virginia. Um, you've done a lot of work with international dog trainers and and uh, you got a lot to offer the hound hunting community and we're going to talk about some some issues that that these hounds have at the tree around the tree uh things like that and this all came from a conversation we were having in bear camp last week and kind of made a crossover into how it affects our hounds and Go ahead and set that up for us, how, how that conversation 
came about because I think it's one, it's an entertaining story, but the other <laughs> thing is uh, it ties it all together. Because we, well, we were aggra- we was eating breakfast actually. Um, I don't remember what morning it was, but uh, we were eating breakfast and we'd something how we got on canine training. Oh, I had to work Monday and they said if I had canine training and I said, no, I didn't have it. But I said, if Wesley, if you're willing to take the bite, because he's, he's been saying he's going to take a bite from my dog, which means you're going to get in a suit and and let the dog, you know, apprehend him. And then he starts backpedaling like he always does. <laughs> so we started aggravating him about that, and he was he was like, yeah, you just go ahead and send that dog, and I'll throw a toy at him, and he won't pay no attention to me. And that started a whole new conversation about – you know, proofing the dog and making sure the dog was going to engage the the suspect and or the or whoever we're sending him after, and not the training stuff. And then we come up to we talked about um, self rewarding, yes. and I think that's when it piqued your interest when when I said self reward. And then you and I got into a conversation about, hey, does this apply for the tree to tree dog? Can the tree dog self reward? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, it can absolutely. Mm-hmm do the same thing that our dogs do and we were actually talking about um tracking and getting a bite at the end of every track and it's been yeah, lay that out lay that out a little bit about what you meant by self-reward and we'll try to draw this together and then go into the tree dog stuff but but explain how a police canine self-rewards so, so the easiest example is um is giving a dog a bite at the end of every track so we go out to training and you lay me a track through the woods or through the city or the town or wherever we're at, and the dog tracks you up, and at the end of the track, bam, dog gets a bite. And the theory is that that bite makes him track harder, kind of like our dog's catching game. Mm-hmm. So that's a theory. And I was like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't do that, and here's why. Because there's been numerous cases throughout the United States that show that Several times dogs have been tracking, and especially it happens a lot more in the, the, the suburbs or, you know, in, in, in within the city limits or town limits. You'll be tracking into an apartment complex, and you turn the corner, and somebody's standing there, and then the dog's like, bam, I got him. He latches on, and it's actually an accidental bite because that's not who you were tracking. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was explaining that, that the, the dog just self-rewards. He can, he's done with the track. He found somebody to latch a hold of, and he don't care if it's who he's tracking or not. He just wants that 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 end that you know the fix of actually getting mm-hmm. the bite. Um, so we don't do that. We we track to the human scent, and we we do a lot of different things. And then you know I I let my dog get a bite two or three times a year. He don't need a bite every time. Dog knows how to bite. When I tell him mm-hmm. to bite, he knows to bite. So I don't need to be doing that after every track. And I don't want to form bad habits, which will slip over. You know, I don't want to form bad habits where, you know, I'm I'm tracking through town and I go back behind Home Depot and, you know, pops out some guy stacking lumber at the end of his shift and my dog just grabs a hold of him. So right, um, right. That's, that's, that's a self-reward. The dog is either frustrated or tired or he just wants to be done. And we'll, you know, I know we'll go over this, you know, dogs are cheaters they are going to do the easiest method they can and if we don't make them work for that they're going to shortcut whatever they're doing if it benefits them and the end game for that for that is to get a bite 
and so the dog just shortcuts it and grabs a hold of the first person he finds because I've done my job. You know, mm-hmm. dogs don't. You know, we we he all thinks know that he's done his job. Dogs don't have the ability to to rationalize. You know, dogs act. That's what they do. They act. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> so get, why do you think? Why, why do you think those? You said you don't have to. Your dog knows how to bite. Your dog. I mean, you do work on biting and grip and stuff like that, and we'll talk about that a little bit because uh, we'll do that crossover as well. But you're saying that they are genetically wired to do that work, right? Your 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 canines. They you should they should think? be. <laughs> okay, they, they should be. Yeah. That's good enough. They should be. Yeah, point. I mean, it's very, it's hard to get you know. It's hard to get a dog with the right amount of fight drive that, you know, enjoys, you know, going to the fight because that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. When you, when you bite some, when you get a bite, that's, that's what's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, we practice, we run scenarios. We, we try to put the dog in as many different environments and situations as we possibly can. And whether it's tracking and I tell my dog to bite or I'm sending him on a felony stop to go in a car and pull somebody out or I'm sending him in a building to clear a building. I mean, the dog knows when I give him that command that, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There's no confusion with him on this because we practice mm-hmm. it so much. Um, you know, repetition is how you train. You know, repetition, repetition, yeah. repetition. So the dog knows what, what he's supposed to be doing. So if genetically, if if they want to bite – it's just making sure they're biting the right thing, and that's that's your responsibility as a handler to try to make sure that. Well, it is to make sure that you don't you're not getting those accidental bites, so the town or the county has to pay right. out those huge lawsuits for it. Right. Well, in this whole concept, after this whole discussion, and I wanted to redo it here so people would understand what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. I. When you told me that story, I immediately started thinking, is the problem with slick treeing related to a dog trying to, or not trying, he is self-rewarding. And that's what kicked off this whole concept and, and idea to talk to you about for this podcast. And so I want to talk about, you know, get your opinion on that, but also go back to some foundation stuff that we can do to avoid it and and talk about some other factors uh that are involved there so what do you think do you think do you think a hound is capable of self-rewarding and and it could be could be i'm not uh, it could be a factor in slick tree do you think that's possible before we get that answer from heath i want to let you know that The Grand American is going to be in Orangeburg, South Carolina this week, and I will be there in the Joy Dog Food booth. So stop by and say hello. Introduce yourself. I love meeting the fans. And in the meantime, you don't need to drive 15 hours to get the gear you need. Check out Briar Creek for all of your hound hunting needs. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and Dogtra dealer. 
Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. I do. And, you know, the more I learn about dog behavior, uh, it's easier to understand what we're talking about because you, you kind of understand what's driving the dog and why the dogs do some of the things they do. So, yeah, a dog can, can self-reward by treeing because what's the end game for the houndsman is to catch or tree, and most of the time we're treeing, depending on what part of the country you're in. But in our, you know, my end of the country, I mean, we're, we're, we tree a lot more than we ever, cat, you know, bay up. I mean, we'll bay two or three bear a year, but, you know, for coon hunting, I mean, the end game is to tree the coon, right? Right. So, right. yeah, I mean, if 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 the dog... And I know we had talked about this. There, there's a lot of things that can go into why the dog does it. And that's the first thing you ask yourself is why. Um, what happened to get me here? And then that leads us back to the foundation work. And is it training issues? Or is it the dog's genetically programmed to, to have too much tree in it? Where, you know, when we've all, you know, we've owned, we've owned those. I've owned a dog or two like that that... Of course, I didn't raise it as a puppy either, and I definitely didn't have the experience that I have now. But yeah, a dog can a a, a dog that pulls up slick. A, did the coon go up the tree and and cross out? I mean, it's possible, but if we know for a fact that dog just pulls up on a fence post, and we know what I'm talking about—the little trees and whatever—yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the dog's probably just is he's frustrated. He's done. He can't take it anymore. And I want dad to come and get me and get me that, that pet on the head because I know that's what's coming. Mm-hmm. And they just pull up and do that. And, it's, you know, when you flip that over to big game, and we can talk about the, the differences in each each one. Um, big game's a little different than the dogs are treeing more by sight on the big game where mm-hmm. the dog, you know, for coon is treeing more on the nose. And I think when we wrap all this up, it all comes back. <clears throat> it all comes back to the nose. Don't use. Let the dog use the eyes. He needs to use the nose. Mm-hmm. So, well, what are some of the, you? You mentioned three different things there that that uh, uh, this could could hinge on. It could be with foundation. It could be with training, or it could be genetic. Right? Mm-hmm. Are the, were, the, were those the three things yep. you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go through <clears throat> each one of those. Let's start with foundation. And let's talk about some of the things that may uh, contribute, and I, I call it unacceptable behavior. There are certain things that hounds will do. There's no perfect hound, so we learn what we can live with and what we can't live with. And for me, slick train is one of those things that, you know, I just I have no use for it. And I think most houndsmen get extremely frustrated with that. But... I think there are some things we can do to set them up at the early stages of life to avoid those problems down the road. Yeah, 
so before we talk about foundation, you got to ask yourself why. Like, why is the dog? What? Why is the dog doing this? Okay. So if we're looking at foundation work, you know, how did you train that that pup as a young pup? And we've talked about this. You know, guys listening, if you've got a tree dog, you don't need to encourage him to tree. It's going to come naturally. And the more you encourage that, the more you are prompting this type of bad behavior. If he if he's if he's a young dog and he's tree happy, you need to notch that back a little bit. But we go back to you know the the foundation of the the training. How much game is he seeing at six, five, six, seven months old? Are you are you catching game and? getting a roll cage and rolling it around and then hanging it up in a tree and taking pictures so all your buddies can see it. You know, how many times are you doing that? If it's more than a, ha- a couple of times, and when I say a couple, two or three, you're doing it way too much. And you're, you're just causing that dog to switch from nose to the eyes, and you're causing that excitement. And that excitement is what's going to get you some of those problems later on. And we'll talk about that on the big game side too. So, go back to the nose, and we we talked. I talked about this a lot, especially when I do demos or I do. I teach a lot of um, citizen classes for the the public. We do those each year. The dog is a locating tool. It don't matter what kind of dog we have. If we're using a police dog, a military dog, or a hound, that's what the dog does: is locate. Then we ask ourselves, okay, what's he locating? Coon, bear, cat. Fox, coyote, whatever it is. Okay, then what is he using to locate that? It's he's using his nose. He's not using his eyes. I can't I can't find dope without the dog telling me, hey, it's here. You know, I can't find the, the guy hiding in the building unless the dog goes in and starts, you know, giving me indicators, whether it be bark barking or whether the dog starts scratching or whining or whatever. Um Let's throw that over into the hound world. The same thing. Most dogs, when they start locating the the animal that they're they're desired to chase, um, most dogs start opening. Um, you know whether they're tight. We don't. We're not going to get into tight mouth and you know loose mouth and all that. But the dog's a locating tool, and to locate, they got to use their nose. And if people would just take a step back and say, okay, how can I best use this hound and best train this hound by giving him the proper foundation and i'm not saying the guys don't have good methods to training because i don't i don't know everybody i don't know what they do or what they don't do but i can give you some guidance to where to get to to help yourself down the road from having some major issues the dog's got to use his nose so if you're using if you're using game more than a handful of times then here's my suggestion you're using it too much or you need that put that pup back up and let him mature a little bit, because we're forcing we're we're having to to prime that puppy to go and do what is going to probably come on later in life because he's going to mature a little bit slower than the dogs that are doing it at four and six months old, eight months old, whatever it is. So that is if, that's something that piqued my interest right there. You know, you're using too much eyes, but the thing you said was put him up and let him mature yeah we we get in a rush and I, i've been way guilty i've been guilty of this 
but now that I'm seeing behavior from dogs on a different level and in a different environment, I completely understand. And you and I had talked about this before, and I think we said it in our first podcast. Europeans don't use police dogs until they're three years old. Mm-hmm. And I know that most houndsmen's not going to keep a hound around until they're three years old before they're like, okay, now I can go use this dog. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, you know, take a step back and saying, okay, if 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 these people that are producing world-quality police dogs and military dogs are saying three years old, then I may need to wait a little bit. And I'm not t- – mm-hmm. everybody has their own preference. I'm not saying – you know, I'm not saying whatever, and I always like to get past the baby stage into the juvenile adolescent stage, which, you know, is that 15 to 20 to 22, 24 months old. And you got to take the dog into perspective. Um, I think everybody wants that six-month-old that's jamming up, you know, running and treeing, and they are out there. And those dogs are really, if you have one of those dogs that are, is natural doing that, you have got a very good genetic makeup of a hound. But don't burn him out. Let him be a pup. You know, take him here and there. Take him, but you still got to do the foundation work with, with the environment stuff. But it's right. hard. To, it's hard to leave him in the truck, Keith. When you've got one, it's hard to leave him in the truck. I almost blew. I've almost blown him up before. I was. That's. It's just hard to do that because you're excited about the pup. And then, you know, when you talk about coon hunting and with baby steaks and, and everybody wants to have the 11-month-old night champion, grand night champion, qualified, whatever, man, you just, it's hard to do. It's hard to put the brakes on it but and you, let that pup mature. Well, and I'll, so you've seen my two pups that I have. And they're just, they're not a year old yet. And I got grief during August and September for leaving them at home. Mm-hmm. And I would take them sporadically. You know, I'd take them once, maybe twice a week. I was very cautious on where I put them in and how I put them in. I did not want them on a mean bear. I didn't want them getting beat up. And everybody kind of was like, ah, oh, you, you know, their pups are running and they're doing this and they're doing that. You know, hunt them, hunt them, hunt them. But I know my long-term goal is to have a four-year-old dog that is consistent. It's mm-hmm. not to have a 10-month-old pup that runs in trees and looks like a, a world beater. I want that dog at four years old to lead my pack. That's what does I he want. Look like, does he look like a world beater, or does he just look, really look like an outstanding 10-month-old pup? It's an outstanding 10-month-old pup that everybody gets excited about, just what you yeah. said. you know. And if I was coon hunting, it would be a little different. Big game hunting, I'm not in a rush. Like I said, I'm looking at my long term, you know. So for the coon hunters that are listening, you know, if if you're running those baby stakes and the super stakes, and I, I don't know all the words for all those, if you're running those things, you've got to look, are you planning on keeping this dog for the entirety of its life, or are you going to get some money on it and sell it? Because the chances are, that when their pups are that uh, that age, six, six, eight, and ten, they're under a year old, okay? When they're that age and you're putting that type of pressure on them, at some point in time they're going to break. Mm-hmm. And they're probably not going to finish out 
at the quality that you would prefer. Not all, but most. So there's that catch in there. You're going to have some genetic freaks in that bunch that just are phenomenal dogs and phenomenal hounds, and they do exist. I know that. But mm-hmm. not all of them are going to be that way. Well, that's that's part of the um, hazards of we go to the we go to the club so we go now it's you get on social media and you see everybody with this wonder pup you can tell whatever you st- story you want on social media but but they're rare it's a rare thing to have that sort of a dog that can handle that sort of pressure at such an early age and the whole reason that I got involved with big country at the level that I did was because I had Jazz at the time, and she was a freak. Five months old, she treated her for a schoon. I mean, I was hunting her by herself. I'll tell you exactly the night it happened. <clears throat> I was hunting with a guy that he's probably hunting with her as much as anybody in the world except me, and he just loved hunting with her. And I unhooked her one night. She went 15 feet, and she just stopped, and she turned around and looked at me. And I thought, I tried to shoe her on and, and, and get, her on, you know, get her on out there. She wouldn't go. And it just clicked in my head right there, luckily, because I'd been a canine handler for several years at that time, and I thought, I'm getting ready to blow this one up. So I took her back to the truck, put her in the box, and that's the other part of the story is another thing, but I had to put her up in order to to, to give her a break. Yeah, I mean, pups at that age, and they're puppies, I mean – at five months old, six, seven, eight months old, in human life, you're looking at an infant. I mean, yeah. really, you're looking at an infant. So when you're, do you believe you, in that? Do you believe that dog years equals seven years of human life? You believe that? Yeah, I do. I mean, the dogs they mature so fast. You know, once mm-hmm. they, like I said, once they get through that adolescent, you know. And we've all said this, you know, your old dogs are gone just like that. Like, okay, yeah. four yeah. years old, I got my dog where I want it to be. Five, six right. rolls around, and then seven, you're like, oh, man. And then eight's here, and it starts to slow down a step, and then nine. And then, I mean, yeah, I, they go way too fast, way too yeah. fast. So back yeah. to the, let's go back to the, the, um, using the dog's nose. Yep. Um, <laughs> let's try it. Let's, Let's come up with ways to encourage the dog without seeing as much game. Mm-hmm. And I, I have tried several different methods. I've, I've tried dogs that I've never showed any game. But I would go catch it, turn it loose, take the dog like we were going hunting, and start walking that track with them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't sick them on it. I didn't hiss them on it. I just walked in the direction that the animal went and traveled and I watched their behavior. And then I, you know, you know, if they got, and I I had an old timer show me this bear hunting years ago, you know, dogs would strike an old bad track and they'd trail over, they'd trail in the North where the sun hadn't hit and they'd get over in the South and the dogs start losing it because the sun's hitting it. Right. And he'd just keep walking in the general direction and then they'd end up, running down in a hollow where the the shade's good and the the dew was still on, they'd pick that track back up. So same thing. He's he was helping his dogs without helping them. You know, he right. 
he was traveling in the same direction the game was going. So you can do that, and I've done it, and I had success doing it. Got to go back to your dog selection, which is very important in my job. <laughs> like right. dog selection is is a, is one of the biggest things you can screw up if you don't pick the right dog. And I think you know when you go back to the foundation is picking the stock. I know a lot of people you know breed their own dogs and use their own bloodline. And you know what are you looking for? Are you you know are you looking for a dog? If it was me and I was a well, I think any hunter that hunts hounds should be looking at accuracy, period. I want dogs that produce accuracy. I want dogs that that don't get bogged down and self-reward by pulling up when they get frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want dogs that, that have a little bit of a brain. Well, I like a whole lot of brain, but, you know, I, right. I, I want those dogs that are a little bit calmer. Um, for me, I don't like, if a dog don't have a clear head, he can't work through problems. And then that goes back to the excitement part. How much game have I showed them? You know, have I hung that, have I hung that game up in a tree, let them tree on it 50 times or 10 times, 15 times? You know, that dog gets excited and he gets a little bit of odor. Maybe, maybe the coon went up and fed in that tree and come back down and, and, went on i don't i don't know i'm just saying and then okay well he jams up on that tree because that's where the last odor is that he had going up and he hits the first thing that goes up because in his foundation and his training everything was always above his head right you know that's a training issue that you know that's that's on that's on the the trainer whoever's mm-hmm. training that dog and then we'll let's talk about the big game side of that same thing you know you you take a couple pups and you showed them some game and you know they're running and treeing and you get you know if you, it's like the pack of beagles if anybody runs beagles well you you went with Alan yeah. you know they make a lose one beagle barks over here left handed the whole pack oh whoa, 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 right to them and then they take off and that's what happens a lot of times with the big game is you know you've got you got a pack of dogs and one dog gets excited and starts you know, loose mouthing, well, then you've got a tree-minded dog in that pack somewhere, and the next thing you know, you're pulled up treed, and everything's treeing because one dog started barking, dogs are pack animals, and now you've got six or eight dogs barking up a tree where there's nothing in it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's an issue. And again, it goes back to your training, your you know, your foundation work. And, and it goes back to handling, too. You know, knowing yeah. knowing how to handle handle your your dogs and and let's talk about let's talk about some handling stuff. You know, I think um, I think I've seen a lot of creative problems. Uh, they've got a well-bred pup. They've got a uh, you know a dog that's got a lot of talent, but the mistakes on the handler side of it is is what is causing a lot of their problems and and there's a reason why i know i feel pretty confident in my my opinion on this because i've made these mistakes i've done it uh, you know one of the things that that i've seen a lot of guys do <clears throat> they get a they get excited about a pup he's showing a lot of promise and the first time he barks up in there down this fence row then they run in there and they they they're shining lights up in the trees and and they're trying to find game above their head and they want to put that pup on that tree they're afraid he's going to leave 
instead of being a little more patient, letting him problem solve and figure it out. You know, and I'm talking about the first half dozen times that dog treats. Um, if you've done a lot of yard work with that dog and, and worked with them, you know, you've sat there under the tree and you've tried to get them treeing and petting and beating on trees and doing all this other stuff and, and trying to get them dialed in. And then when they do it in the wild, we have a tendency to want to run in there and do the same thing because we're afraid they're going to leave instead of sitting back and being a little more patient and letting that dog problem solve and truly commit. And for me, at a, a pup at a young age, if they miss, I'm happy that they've got the guts to take the chance to try it. You know, I don't get excited about it right out of the gate. What are it, your thoughts? It's okay for the dog to fail. And we talked about self-discovery on top of self-reward. Mm -hmm. The dog will learn more from figuring it out himself than for dad or mom shortcutting the process and trying to teach him to do it. So what I mean is, we, you was talking about, you know, going in there and shining the tree. You know, we, I, I mean, I, I used to coon hunt a lot, and I've had several people say, hey, don't put your light in the tree, don't put your light in the tree. Well, looking at, back at it now, I know why, because they didn't want their dog jacking up treed. Mm -hmm. um, so self-discovery, letting that dog work and figure things out himself. Give him an extra 15 or 20 minutes. When you say, oh, I'm not going to let my dog do that, I'm going to go on. Take a step back, put your watch on, and say, I'm going to give my dog five more minutes. Let him work it and figure it out himself. We do that in the other line of work where I do it with police dogs. If it takes me 15 extra minutes to let a dog work through a problem and he solves that problem, then that is two months worth of work that I don't have to do because he figured it out himself. The next time he's going to know how to do it. Yeah. So if you've got a dog that is pulling up short, okay, ask yourself why. First thing you got to do. Okay, is it something I've done? Is it training? Is it is it the way that I've handled him? If not, then encourage him to go on and try to figure that track out. Um, and there's a lot of ways we can do that, but encourage him to go on and give him time. One night of of pulling your hair out to let that dog work through issues will save you months and months and months of training. And it took me a long time to figure that out. In fact, I learned that from the Dutch guys that come in and, and that I work with, you know, they's like, Heath, you know, stay back, stay back, let your dog work. Because we always want to, and, I, and I'll give you a simple, a simple, um, when we do detection work for narcotics or explosives right. or whatever, we always want to go in there and we want to tap, 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 you know, okay, check here, check here, check here. That's the same thing we're doing at the tree. Come on, buddy, get up here, get up here. Come on, come on. You know, don't do that. Because you're shortcutting the training session, I'm saying, okay, if you put your nose where Dad's hand is, I'm going to get my reward because that's where the odor's coming from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it begins where I don't care if the odor's there or not. Dad taps here, and that's how we start getting those false indications, which right. we don't want. And it's called which cueing. Which is a false tree. Yeah, it's called cueing. Yeah, I'm cueing yeah. my dog. I'm setting that dog up for failure. So mm -hmm. let your dog work those problems out. If it takes two or three nights 
of this stuff or whatever, you're going to, in the long run, you're going to come out way ahead of the game. And you're going to have a dog that problem solves a lot quicker and a lot faster than most people because most people cheat the system or cheat the process and help the dog do it. And when you help the dog, you're not helping him, you're hurting him. I'll promise mm-hmm. you that. Through lots of experience doing this the wrong way, you're hurting your dog. You're not helping him. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. Check out Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected, and dogs are hydrated, cutting-edge, high-quality gear for you, the houndsman. Gear designed for houndsmen by houndsmen with the highest level of craftsmanship available. Dogs Are Treed is also the exclusive dealer for Houndsman XP podcast logo wear. We're working on our line over there, but we just dropped some new hats at Dogs Are Treed, and you can see them on our page at dogsartreed.com. And don't forget at checkout, enter the code HXP 20% off, all capital letters, and you will get 20% off of your entire order. Find them today at dogsartreed at dogsartreed.com. Yeah. And I, I think it that's, a, a, again, in our culture today, we want shortcuts. We want, you know, how many videos are out there about life hacks and, you know, different things. It's almost like we've we've bought into this thing in every part of our culture. How do you get rich quick? You know, there's plenty of people in prison right now for Ponzi schemes and, and get-rich-quick schemes and, and not having that patience. And, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying Anybody listening out there, if I've got a three-year-old dog that's still in there beating and banging and can't figure out how to tree a coon, he pro- I'm not going to hunt that type of a dog. I, I know what a coon dog is. I know what a tree dog is. I know what a nice one is. And so what, I, what we're talking about is a young dog that's in its formula, formulative years and handling that dog correctly in order to get years of good high quality service out of that dog it's it goes back to what you said he man it take 15 minutes be patient let them work it out problem solved i like the way you said it cuts months of work you can move on to resolving another issue if people could see what i have seen with the self-discovery you know when you say the light bulb went off that's literally Mm -hmm. what happens when the dog's able to figure it out if the dog is starting to get frustrated or tired or now there are times that I'm just going to stop the session. And even if it's, a, if it's a training session with hounds, 
there are times when I'm watching my dog and I'm like, okay, enough's enough, let's go. And mm-hmm. it's okay to fail. I'm telling you, it's okay. You're not going to ruin that dog. If the dog's genetically programmed and you've got the right the right breeding and the you know the right hound, you're not. It's not hurting. We always say, you know, I want to end on a good note. That's that's not that's not necessarily the truth anymore. Um, put the dog up, and we talked about building drive through frustration. It's okay I want you to, to talk about that. Yeah, it's okay to put that dog up. Um, and in my world, on the on the the work dog side of it, you know, we build a lot of drive through flirt frustration, um, and I can incorporate that into training and giving the dog game or not giving him game. We've all had mm-hmm. pups that that maybe they're not training, and maybe they're not doing what they want. They're supposed to do at the tree, or maybe they even actually run into the tree and tree a little bit and start backtracking or so on and so forth. And you've heard it on other podcasts, because I know I've heard it, about knocking, tie that dog back. You knock the game out if that's what you're going to do. And let the other dogs do their thing. And you praise the dogs up that are doing their job. And you move on. And you do that two Mm -hmm. or three times. You're building frustration because he's not getting to play the game with the other dogs. And, I mean, that's how you got to look at it. He's, He's not playing the game. He don't. He don't get to. He don't. He's not involved in that. And you will see pretty quickly that that dog catches on. And dogs learn more from watching other dogs than anything you can teach them. They learn faster. Dogs are mm-hmm. pack animals. They are watching. They are in the pack. They're watching the pack. They're seeing who's doing what and why they're doing it. That's that's not what we can't fill that role as good as another animal. So let me ask you this. When you guys are doing your training over there, uh, say you're doing detection work on vehicles, uh, that's a pretty good pretty good spot to be able to – all our handlers always got out of – had all their dogs on leash at a, at a heel position, and they would sit there and they would watch the other handler and dog go through the exercise. Do you do that? Uh, absolutely. We even, yeah. we even bring crates. Um, if we're doing muzzle work, we do that with muzzle work. We'll bring mm-hmm. crates in and put the dogs in the crates and have them watching the whole session, maybe the whole day. Yeah. Um, it just depends on where the dog's at and what, what the dog needs. But absolutely, it's obedience. You know, the dog's there and he's watching the other dog go through his session. People say, well, the dog's just performing obedience. You watch that dog and see what he's doing. He's paying attention to what's going on, whether you think he is or he isn't. One of the things that I started doing with young dogs, uh, especially early, early, the first few times I'm hunting, if they're not tree and things like that, is I always tie that young dog back and uh, keep him back away far enough where he can see me interact with his buddies. And that's exactly what you're saying, and I wanted to reiterate that. Tie those pups back and let them see your old dog getting that affirmation and that reward and and all that and it could just be dogs know if you're talking to them or if you're talking to another dog you know mm-hmm. if you don't believe me uh, you know your mother-in-law probably has a couple little lap dogs and one of them's jealous of the other one you start talking to one dog when you go over there for christmas and see if the other dog doesn't come over and, and want some of your attention too and yep. we, we reverse that and we put it in the woods 
now they understand what reward looks like because you've you've been working with them and boom you're talking to their buddy over here that's treed they're sitting back here not doing anything and goes back to exactly what you said yeah they want to be a part of the game it they do and like i said i've been very blessed and you know i've got to see a lot of different styles and a lot of different things and you know just learning animal behavior and dog behavior has helped me tremendously and i don't have the best dogs in the world by no means i just you know i'm just up front about it i'm going through a rebuilding stage and i'm trying to to put my pack back together like some of the older dogs that i used to have because i had some really really good dogs over the past you know over the years and i'm not even going to say anything about your dogs right now they're they're just average (laughs) dogs i mean that's what they are um You know, we get blind hog find the acre every once in a while. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, frustration helps. You have to get out of the mindset that my dog needs everything that he trees because that's not, that's not the case. Um, if, do, you think, do you think putting too much game down on them can cause slick treeing? I think it's a possibility, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it can. Again, and, it, and then I have to go back to it's probably going to cause problems if I've hung a dozen dozen roll cages up in a tree at the house. And I'm probably going to mm-hmm. have problems. I mean, if I could sit back and watch stuff, I could probably tell you what's going to happen and what problems you're going to cause if you do certain things. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not able to do that. You know, I see it with myself and – you know, I do a lot of um, experimental stuff. Okay, so let me let me try this with this dog and see if this works, and I'm going to try something else with this dog and see if it works. And then I may take things from both of those experiments and time together to make to make this what I'm looking for. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about genetics. Eey. How much? Yeah. <laughs> you said that was one of the problems could be part of the problem with with a dog that's prone to slick tree you know jerry mall my good buddy he's always been he's always told me he's like it's easier to take tree out of a dog than to put them in a put put it in them so what sort of factor you you said it so how does that how does that factor into this problem well i mean are are we being specific about the way we breed are we being specific about the dog in general well i mean you take you take you take a a pup that's comes from a line of dogs that are known as as tree monsters you know easy Mm -hmm. tree and you know don't have to encourage them to tree um i'll give you an example is and is most walker breeders will tell you that they went through a period there where they were breeding for more tree. Uh, a lot of that was dictated because of night hunt rules and things like that, and and I think that is wrong um, to breed for that purpose, but it's hard not to do when there's a big check waiting out there for you for accomplishing that. But I think some of the, some of the breeders in the Walker breed that I respect have realized that that's caused a problem for them and now they've got dogs they've concentrated so much on tree that they've lost some of the tracking ability so i'm talking about a dog that is has been bred he's predisposed he's hardwired for it you know kind of like a german short hair pointer 
that points a bird wing without even thinking about it. Yeah. <clears throat> if your dog is, you know, I said it earlier, I think, you're, if a dog is programmed to tree, you don't need to encourage him any whatsoever. You're probably just going to make problems happen. If the dog is, is I, and I'll give you an example. I had a dog at a Sackett Jr., directly off Sackett Jr., and a Grand Knight um, Pine Creek Casey female from here at the house. Uh, the litter turned out really well. We, I mean, we granted s- several of those dogs out of that litter. Um, and the guy that bred them, has, of course, he's been one of my mentors for years and still is because I still call him and talk to him about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, he th- he's like, don't, don't encourage that dog to tree. Don't do it. And... When that dog was four months old, I had hung a coon up in a walnut tree there in the dog lot where I was at. I I had just done it. I didn't do it on purpose. And I had that pup running loose there in the barn lot. And he come over there, and he literally pulled up on that tree and treed until I moved him. He wasn't coming off that tree. I mean, I literally moved him off of that tree. Mm -hmm. And that's when Pappy told me, he said, he said, don't encourage him. He said, you're going to get too much of it. It's already there. So I never, I don't think I showed that dog maybe one or two coons um, before he just took off. And, and he was like what you said. I mean, he was, I was hunting that dog by himself at 10 months old and, and treeing coons, fairly consistent. You know, I was yeah. missing some. But fairly for a 10-month-old dog, I'd, I don't think I really ever had anything of that quality at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, so yeah, if, if you've got a dog that's the genetically programmed a tree, you probably need to back it down some and not not amp it up. I, if I could give you guys a visual, we use a horseshoe. So imagine a horseshoe um, laying in front of you, and you've got dogs all around that horseshoe. So each dog is genetically going to be at the bottom of the horseshoe, at the top of the horseshoe, or at the bottom of the horseshoe. So if your dog's at the bottom of the horseshoe, he's going to need some encouraging. I need to build him up a little bit. But if my dog's already in the top part of that horseshoe, you don't want to do anything with him. I don't need I don't need a rattle-headed dog that's so excited that I can't do anything with him. Mm-hmm. And when my dog, when my canines come in and they they bring them into school, that was that's one of the first things I do. I evaluate where they're at on the horseshoe, and I talk to the handlers about that and tell them, you know, okay, so. If if your dog's up here in this top part of the horseshoe, we're not going to come in excited. We're not going to come in in that high squeaky voice and 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 squealing and and making lots of racket and and getting that dog amped up because then I end up with a bull in a china shop. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in nice and calm. I'm going to give the dog his command, whether it's you know it's sook fine, whatever they use, and I'm just going to calmly work that dog. But the dogs that's on the bottom of that horseshoe, when I come through the door, I'm gonna be like, okay, okay, you ready, you ready, you ready? Let's go find him. Let's go do. Let's go it. And I and I amp that dog up just a little bit to get him up in that upper part of the horseshoe. So you got to look at your dogs and see where they're at. But I still do not overdo the sight stuff. So when I'm talking about, mm-hmm. I'm amping that dog up and I'm priming him. I'm not gonna do it. To, to that. So that dog may need a little bit more praise at the tree. You know, I may need to encourage him a little bit. I, I may need to to um, 
to to pet him up and and watch him and let him lead him back over to the tree let him get his feet up on the tree and start treeing and one thing that i have learned and if you guys try this you will see when i praise a dog i praise him from the nose to the tail i rub him all the way down his body and when i praise him like that um, it has to do with the way the mothers raise them when they're they're pups and the way that she soothes them and the stuff that she does to him. Um, so try that a couple times. when you, If you have the dogs that you need to, to amp up a little bit or give that extra encouragement. Let's use that word. Extra encouragement, not amp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let, lead him over. Let him up on the tree. And when, when he barks, I'm not going to encourage him to bark. Okay? So this is important. I'm not going to be tapping on the tree. Get it, boy. Get it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Talk to him. Talk to him. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to lead him over the tree. I'm going to let him figure it out. And he's probably going to stick his nose up to the tree and start smelling. And he's going to put his front feet up. When he gives that first bark, oh, now, good boy. I'm going to give him that praise. And then when he barks again, oh, good boy. I'm not encouraging it, but I'm praising it. Yes. Does that make sense? You're, you're you're paying him for his work. That's right. I'm not shortcutting it. I'm not giving it to him. Like we talked about, self he self-discovered. Okay, this is what I need to do. I smelt the tree. I got odor. Hopefully he's got coon odor in it. And I wouldn't do that if you don't see the coon. Let's add that in there. <laughs> or the right, or right. the big whatever you're looking for. If it's, you know, bobcat, bear, whatever it is. Um, never encourage a dog. Or praise a dog if you don't know. And we talked mm-hmm. about that as far as like breaking game too. I don't I don't break my dogs until I know 100% what they're doing. And I let them off with some stuff sometimes. I know, but it's not what I know, no. So, but yeah, so I don't. Think we, I think we let some dogs off on some stuff the first time we hunted together. Yeah, I and think. We didn't get, no, no correction, we just, um, we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's old bushy tail. That's what I think. But yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, so make sure that you have the game in the tree before you do any of that. And then, like I said, let the dog work work him over to the tree and let him figure it out. And you will see, he barks a time or two, you know, praise. He barks, praise. And and I can give you a good example of this. So when we do building searches, I want my, my dog's not very vocal, my police dog. He's not vocal at all. Mm-hmm. Um. So when we do a building search, I, if when he locates the, the, the human odor, I want him to bark. You know, I want him to sit down and, oh, 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 just like he's treed. Yeah. Well, Pino's not very vocal. So I've had to, I've had to work and build him um, through this. And I started out just like what I'm telling you guys is I put the guy behind the door. When he hit that odor, I had... Um, I had the guy actually blow through the door seam. He blew. Pino's like, oh, here it is, just to give him that extra. Okay, this is what I'm looking for. And as soon as he sat down and he gave one little, like, I mean, just a whimper, I started. I can get about mm-hmm. 30 seconds to a minute out of him barking now. And that's all I'm going to get out of him. It's not going to be any more. But if I can't hear him in 30 seconds to a minute, we've got even more problems. But the same purpose at the tree is just work. And it may take you a month to get that dog. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of tree dogs you got. You know, if they want to blow down the top tree dogs, it may take you a month to get there. 
But if you just want a dog that's a steady tree dog, it may take you a couple weeks. It may take you two or three sessions of that and it be there. But Mm -hmm. it will work if you let the dog self-discover and reward him or pay him for what you want him to do without shortcutting it. If you start tapping on that tree and doing things and the coon's not there and the dog's not earning it, there's where you cause some of those problems that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I like your I like that horseshoe theory. We've talked about that before, um, because I think it's important for if you want to be a houndsman and you want to be a good trainer and you want to have good dogs, you've got to learn to read dogs. You've got to learn to you've got to learn that that you can't approach every dog in the same way. You've got to figure out where they're at, and then bring them the things they need to make them successful. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> every dog is different, and you're never going to have the same dog twice. I mean, out of the hundreds of dogs I see, you know, yearly through training on the police side of it and the hounds that I've raised over the last 26, 27 years, I've got dogs that have same of the same characteristics, <clears throat> some of the same mm-hmm. traits, but it's never the same dog. Uh, and that, you know, I think that's what we talked about. You know, there is no perfect dog. It's just what are we willing to tolerate, and what are we not willing to tolerate with those dogs? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, let's talk real quick about dogs that that maybe don't have enough tree in them, and spend a couple minutes on that. <clears throat> um, you know, one of the things that that I learned, and I learned this from another guy uh, as well. But I was in a terrible habit, you know, if, if, especially when I'm hunting a young dog and I've got an older dog there the street and a dog meets me off the tree. You know, I, 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 think, I think most of us will say, lease that dog in and lead him back into the tree. And uh, I was doing that one night, and a guy that I, I know that's got nice dogs, he said, why are you leading that dog back in here? I said, well, I want him to know where he's supposed to be. He's like, he knows where he's supposed to be. Tie him up right where you caught him and let him listen to the party that's going on in there and see if he doesn't want to be there the next time. And so I always started, ever since then, if I've got a dog that, that wants to, to meet me off a tree, man, I catch him and tie him up right where they are. It may mean I've got to walk 150 yards, you know, uh, to, to pick up that pup, but... Um, what are your thoughts on that? I would say in short order, that dog's not coming off the tree anymore. Just because what we said, you're frustrating that dog because he was there, he was at the party, and he left. Mm -hmm. And now, okay, well, dad or mom's tied me up, you know, 50 yards, 100 yards back, you know, and you go in and you start making that party even better. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if they've got the game and, you know, whatever you're looking for. And you start praising them dogs up and a hooping and a hollering, it's probably driving him plumb ballistic. And I oh, would yeah. I would say after two or three sessions of that, it may not even take two or three. It may be one and done. Just depends on your dog. And I think right. too, when you talk about dogs that aren't as you know tree tree dogs, you know what are we hunting? Are we hunting coon where it's strictly nose? Um, I've got a couple of my really good bear dogs from people that didn't like them coon hunting because they didn't tree hard enough. Right. But with a bear, I don't I don't really need that because I may be two, three, four, five hours out before I can get to them, 
And plus, most of the time in December, they can see the game. Right. And if they're leaving it after seeing it, then I, you know, I've got even a little bit, probably a little bit bigger yeah. problems that I need <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, no, I need no. to work with. Yeah. Yeah. But and no, again, I, I'm not, I'm not talking about a two-year-old dog that's leaving trees. Or, I promise you, I'm not going to be hunting a dog like that for very long. You usually got an ear problem or, or another problem going on there besides that. But uh, I'm talking about young pups that that you've got to make that impression with and handle them from the get-go. So. Yeah, no, I think that's a good method. Um, I mean, I've tried all sorts of things, and most of the time mine get tied back and not fooled with. Again, we're building that yeah. the, we're building that that drive through frustration, and they're not getting they're not getting what what they want. And that's the dogs want our attentions, and we all know they want our attention. That's I mean, that's right. what they live for. It's I've done the same thing with with young dogs that that may go out for part of the race, and then they come back to you. You know, I'll stick them in the dog box and drive as close as I can to that tree. And and our instinct is, let's get them out of the dog box and take them in there and show them what's happening. But, man, you leave them in that dog box and they're close enough to already – they already know what's happening in there. They've been there a few times, but now they've got to sit in the dog box. And if you're a big game hunter, they got their head out the rig hole or, or they, they can – but, Yeah. That you get them close enough, and you build that frustration, that drive-through frustration. Yeah, and I know it's aggravating, but I've done exact. I mean, I that's one of my training methods is, if I've got dog down trailing, and my pup comes back to me or young dog, they get put on the lead and they don't get turned loose again. And if I've got another young dog, I'll turn it loose, and I I I just yeah, he gets to see I his just, buddies go. Yeah, I just repeat. If he comes back, he gets on the lead. And if, you know, I, I've got, I'm hunting three young dogs. I've got a good friend of mine. I've got his 18 month old female. And then I have a 15 month old male of mine. And then I've got, you know, um, the two pups out of, out of spook that are 11 months old. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if they come back, they just, they get put on lead. And, you know, next time, it don't take them very long, especially if that dog got any sense at all. They're going and they're staying. Yeah, uh, they're, because they want they want to be involved, and you know I know it's aggravating leading dogs through the laurel th- laurels and the thickets and the stuff that we hunt in and down through the rock bluffs. But again, one or two of those sessions, three of those sessions, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And the overall goal is to have the dog go and stay and be productive inside that pack, whatever they're doing. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, if it's a coon dog, I mean, it, it would be just less dogs doing it. Right. Well, Heath, I think that's probably enough to digest for one training session. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. guys, just let we your dogs. We talked about a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Make your dogs use their nose. Don't, don't give them the answer. Let them self-discover. And sometimes you've got to sit back and figure out how we're going to do that because, you know, it's not always a clear, clear-cut answer. Um, you may have to use a little bit of ingenuity and a little bit of, creativity to say okay how, how can i set this up and it's okay for your dogs to fail it's okay for the dogs to fail they're not gonna they're not gonna be a hundred percent all the time and mm-hmm. when i one of the things that's important for the, the the working dog side of it we have to fill out notes training notes every time we get that dog out for a training session and i tell my guys you know for court reasons i know it's different for for you 
but you should think about it this way. For court reasons, if I open my training binder, my dog's 100% on everything, they're going to pick me apart because anybody in their right mind knows that this is not right. So yeah. we put our failures in there. You know, if, if we don't find a person on a track, put it on there. If our dog walked odor, we put it in there, but then we put our remedial, what we did to fix it. So right. flip that over to the hound world. It's okay to fail. You know, put you some notes down on what happened and how it happened and go back and try to replicate that or um, give the dog time to self-discover. If I could give you one thing out of this whole thing, let the dog self-discover, and it will save you a lot of time down the road. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Heath, I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll come up with some more good stuff to bring out to yeah, the, thank, uh, the hunters out there. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. Hey, Heath, until next time, which might be next week, <laughs> follow your hands and I'll follow mine.